0: I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Does God ever seem distant to you? Well, no matter how you feel, God is real. To mature your friendship, God will test it with periods of seeming separation, times when it feels as if He has abandoned or forgotten you, but God doesn't leave you. He has promised repeatedly. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God admits that sometimes he hides his face from us. This is a normal part of the testing and the maturing of your friendship with God. Job said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am going. And when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. So now tell me. How do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? Well, you do what Job did. Tell God exactly how you feel. I can't be quiet, said Job. I am angry and bitter. I have to speak. This sounds like a contradiction. I trust God, but I'm wiped out. Regardless of circumstances and how you feel, hang on to God's unchanging character. He is good and loving. He is all-powerful. He notices every detail of my life. He is in control. He will save me. Circumstances cannot change the character of God. Trust God to keep His promises and remember what God has already done for you. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair shows you how to trust in God with a reminder to remember His promise to you, I will never leave you so thank you archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space into the archbishop's corner how are you today
1: very well thank you
0: happy pentecost
1: yes great uh, solemnity
0: and it concludes the easter season pentecost sunday marks the day when the holy spirit obviously descended upon the apostles 50 days after easter the holy spirit gave the apostles the gifts to fulfill the great commission to go out and preach the gospel to all nations Now, Pentecost is oftentimes referred to as the birthday of the church. Why is this, Archbishop?
1: Well, because the apostles, as we know, were told, were were still bewildered and locked up out of fear in the upper room. And Jesus had told them more than once that it was when the Holy Spirit would come, the Spirit of Truth would uh, lead them into all the truth and make them his witnesses in the world. And so when that was fulfilled on Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Spirit uh, descended upon them in the forms of tongues of fire and a wind, then they threw open the locked doors where they were out of fear and literally went to the rooftops and preached Christ. Mm -hmm. And we're here today, 2,000 years later, because of that. If they had remained locked up in the room out of fear and ignorance, without the Holy Spirit, nothing would have really happened. So the Spirit, you know, this is the great revelation of the the Christian mystery of one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's called the birthday of the Church in the sense—I mean, you could also refer mystically to the birth of the Church from the wounded side of Christ on the cross, the water and blood that flowed from his heart as a sign of baptism and the Eucharist. But that wouldn't have gone anywhere without, as Jesus himself said, without the gift of the Holy Spirit that they received on Pentecost Sunday.
0: Well, this being Pentecost, let me ask you about uh, how confirmations are going at the cathedral. I know that you've been having many of these confirmations, inviting various parishes to have confirmation at the cathedral.
1: Yes, well, I'm very pleased because uh, this is something new in the archdiocese. It's certainly not new in many places, but uh, to have our young people not be confirmed just at an evening Mass on a workday during the week, you know, in the parish, but rather on the weekend, either without Mass on Saturday or with Mass on Sunday, to come to the cathedral from several parishes and be confirmed together in our beautiful cathedral. And I'm very pleased because naturally when you wanna do something new, there's some grousing. Sometimes people, oh, why do we have to do that? But once they come to the, and that's not many, but some people, but I've been so gratified. Priests have told me that their, their people were very pleased to come when they see how magnificent the cathedral is, their cathedral, because it belongs to the whole archdiocese and all of its people, uh, they, they're very uh, moved by it and, uh, you know, taken with the beauty of it. Plus, it gives our young people a chance to realize in our parishes that they're not alone. To see young people from other parishes uh, come together to do this. There's a really nice spirit about it. I see how people afterward linger. They take pictures. They they want to visit the cathedral and the grounds. I think when it's on a weekend, then after the the ceremony's done, families go out to dinner, you know, or lunch. It's not, and and the pastors are pleased that the the burden of preparing everything at the parish is taken away from them. We because it's all done by the cathedral. We have beautiful music. Uh, So I'm very pleased, you know, occasionally, of course, you're going to occasionally get some complaints, why do we have to do this? But once they come, they really like it.
0: And I think one of the the benefits is it says something important to these young people. It says that the church community is not just my parish, but I belong to a larger community called the Archdiocese, and even beyond that, the Universal Church.
1: Yes, and if you look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there is a statement in there about the fact that confirmation, part of the celebration, is meant to open up the those who are confirmed to this wider uh, vision of the Church. So it dovetails beautifully with having things at the cathedral. But, you know, there's a sad part to this, too, that a number of years ago, there were so many of our young people being confirmed that you you couldn't possibly do it in the cathedral because each parish was filled with people being confirmed. But the reality today is that the numbers of 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 people to be confirmed, of young people to be confirmed is so much less than it used to be uh, that it it's feasible to have them come together in the cathedral. So you know it's kind of a, a bittersweet reality, but I do think that under today's circumstances, it really works extremely well, and I'm very happy to do it. Bishop Betancourt and I both confer the sacrament together, and you know, we can uh, do—we a, a, we have about 170 as a limit, or 200 at the very most, at each of these uh, uh, liturgies, and uh, we can do it very nicely in an hour and a half, or uh, with Mass, for a lot of people, maybe 100, uh, an hour and 40 minutes. Um, and I think it works very well. And I want to give a shout-out, as they say nowadays, to the Knights of Columbus because I kiddingly say to them, we can have the most beautiful liturgy in the cathedral, but if the parking is a disaster, nobody's going to want to come back. And the Knights have really risen to the occasion. They come every Saturday and Sunday when we're having these confirmations and volunteer their time. To direct traffic, to direct people to oh, the wow. right parking spaces of which there are many, but you have to know, you know, for example, yeah. the Hartford Insurance Company opens their big lot for us. the neighboring churches open all their lots, the city lets its park on both sides of the street. but without those nights there to direct this, I, I say to them, if you weren't here, people would say the ceremony is beautiful, but they wouldn't want to come back again. Uh, so I really appreciate that very much.
0: So the logistics of everything is well taken care of and planned out. Uh, yes. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that today is also National Attitude Day, Archbishop. People so often allow negativity to dominate their lives. But think about the people in your life who are always happy and who always have a good attitude. Those are the people that you want to have in your life because they make you smile just to think about them. Those people have just as many problems as the people that you know who are always negative. They just don't let their problems determine their attitude. Do you have any suggestions, Archbishop, as to how to develop a good and more positive attitude?
1: Well, I can't imagine that a person who has a spiritual life that is close to Christ in a really authentic way uh, and to the saints and to Our Lady, I don't see how they could be dour or sour about life. Mm. And I dare say, I, I think I'm correct in saying this, that if you have a really dour, sour attitude toward life or other people, maybe you ought to examine your conscience about your faith and about, you know, whether you're really in tune with, with the gospel, with Jesus, with our Mary and the saints. Because, you know, the, the saints were always, some of them led, led very stern, strict lives, but always there's Christian joy. You know, Jesus sure. said, I will give you a joy that no one can take from you. So this has to, can't be a joy that's just internal. It has to be radiated to other people. And I think that's, that's a very, it's an essential element, really, of living a gospel
0: life. Now, tomorrow, we celebrate the memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church. At the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI first gave the Blessed Mother the title, Mother of the Church. Why is Mary so honored with that title, Mother of the Church?
1: Well, because uh, as the great um, saints have, many of them have reflected, you know, that just as Mary gave birth to Christ, and we are members now, mystically, spiritually of the body of Christ, in that sense, she is our mother too, uh, that that uh, she gives us uh, spiritual birth through him. And so uh, it's very fitting to say that Mary is the mother of the church. So that's been added to the church calendar, and it offers us a beautiful reflection and an occasion, especially in the day, these days where the church needs a lot of prayers to invoke the intercession of Mary for or the church. You know, she's the church's first and most perfect member. Uh, you know, the, yeah. she the, we say we're an apostolic church founded on the apostles, but Mary is queen of the apostles. And I think that that's very important for us to, to consider and pray about.
0: Friday, June 10th, is the 87th anniversary of the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. In June of 1935, Bill Wilson connected with Dr. Bob Smith to form a national organization that promoted personal support with divine intervention to other alcoholics. AA is a fellowship, although it does not affiliate with one particular religious denomination. Do you believe, Archbishop, that prayer and spiritual guidance are important when it comes to combating this addiction?
1: Well, I think you know the answer to that mm-hmm. question. I absolutely do. You know, and I think, quite honestly, it's the key to both the, the misery that so many people are in today and the way out of the misery. And I've said this in other contexts. It's not just addiction to alcohol. It's addiction to drugs. It's the, the um, despair of so many of our young people wanting to commit suicide. It's the despair of a society that's growing so violent and uh, aimless uh, people not settled down uh, w- with family and children and and you know i mean it, it, it without that spiritual element without uh, faith in god without prayer i don't see how the psychology and sociology or all these kinds of Sometimes strange um, movements and 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 things are going to solve anything. I mean, Saint Augustine said, "Lord, you we were you made us for yourself, and our hearts are ever restless until they rest in Thee." And if we don't, if people don't appreciate that, that, that this restlessness is leading not just to restlessness, but to evil, to uh, you know, to violence, to to aimlessness, uh, and. Uh, so, you know, I, I, that's my, my bully pulpit anymore talking about this, but uh, to get back to Alcoholics Anonymous, certainly they are a movement that appreciated from the beginning, that without the spiritual dimension of, of a human person and a relationship to God, then these kind of things cannot really ultimately be addressed at the root.
0: And that probably is, is a message that we all need to take to heart, that, that some of the problems that our society is facing today, we need to get back to God's presence in our lives and make that presence primary.
1: And not a God in our image and likeness, but the God who has been revealed to us, who reveals himself to us.
0: We've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, Archbishop, but before we get to those questions, let's look at our gospel for today on this Pentecost Sunday. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, and after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you asking for your thoughts on what the Gospel means. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord.
1: Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when He had said this,
0: He breathed on them.
1: Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of
0: any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Archbishop, your thoughts on the meaning of our Gospel passage on this Pentecost Sunday?
1: Well, I often reflect on this Gospel. I, uh, You know, when I, you were talking earlier about the confirmations at the cathedral, the ones that have taken place during the Easter season, I always begin by saying that as a bishop I am privileged to begin liturgies with the greeting of today's Gospel from Christ, peace be with you. Those were his first words to the apostles who are locked up in terror in the upper room. And they were terrorized too. I think that the thought of Jesus coming to them—this Jesus whom they denied and abandoned—but what does He say? He doesn't upbraid them. He doesn't scold them, but rather He says, "Peace be with you." Shalom, you know, in Hebrew, shalom, peace be with you. And uh, this is a greeting that our world, as we've been talking a a moment ago, needs to hear. Not as the world gives uh, this—the world can't give it to you—but I give you peace even in the midst of all the things that are uh, troubling you and all the horrible things that can happen in a sinful and fallen world, I give you peace. You know, this is also a gift that leads to to the ultimate source of peace, and that is forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain, they are retained. And again, I know I sound like a broken record, but anybody that says that there's no basis for the sacrament of penance, of confession, uh, or that they don't need it, should hear what our Lord says to the apostles and their successors, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain, they are retained. This is about membership in the body of Christ, the risen body of Christ. It's not just about me and God in isolation. There's profound, and everything that Scripture says, what St. Paul says about the body of Christ, that we are members of the mystical body of Christ. So there's a lot here, profound uh, teaching
0: Well, how do you possibly maintain a sense of peace in your life if if you haven't felt the forgiveness of the lord
1: well everybody needs to be forgiven uh, of something where none of us is perfect the saints i say this in my confirmation homily to the kids too you know i say if you don't end your life as a saint your life will be a terrible miserable failure and and i say i say to them now you're thinking yourselves Archbishop, that's not me i'm no saint Mm -hmm. and i say to them well If you're not a saint, your life is a failure, but every saint would be the first to say that they define themselves as forgiven sinners. Saints go to confession often. Saints are people who know very well their imperfections. They're not these just nice plaster statues sitting on a pedestal in church. If you read the biography, real biographies of saints, you see what kind of people they were and what they had to, how they dealt with, with uh, weakness and sin. And so Uh, that's that's what it's all about If if jesus jesus is the savior the redeemer if you don't think you have anything to be saved and redeemed from then he can't do anything for you but we know that we all need redemption we all need forgiveness
0: i was reading this gospel and thinking about these apostles locked behind closed doors and over the past two years over two years of suffering with this pandemic many of us have locked ourselves behind closed doors and been separated from friends and even family members we lock ourselves behind closed doors we lock ourselves behind closed minds and here's an invitation from jesus to feel his peace even though you have fear in your life
1: yes and if i may we also even pre-pandemic we're beginning to lock ourselves on our computer screens and oh, cell phones. Yeah. Uh, you know, that we, we're we not really in communion with one another as we should be anymore. You know, I've said that uh, live streaming of masses during the pandemic was a godsend to keep people connected, and I'm very grateful for that. But as the pandemic lifts, that's no replacement. And even your beautiful t- televised mass that, particularly for people who are elderly or unable to go, that's a godsend, a blessing. Thank you for that. But when we are able to go to Mass and be with one another, this is extremely important. And it's essential. It's of the very essence. And so you're right. The locked door image of today's gospel is very uh, powerful.
0: I think you talk to any elderly person who is, quote, a shut-in, and they'll tell you readily that if they could get out to Mass, they would readily do so because they feel the importance of being with community, not only the the importance of being with community, but also the opportunity to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist.
1: And that's the ultimate communion, isn't it? Absolutely. The ultimate communion with God and one another in the body of Christ.
0: Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Clint from Hartford says, I am not a religious person, but my wife is Catholic and she raised our children Catholic. Our kids have raised their children Catholics as well, so my grandchildren are very involved in their parish and Catholic school. This means I get to attend a number of events at the church, but I am never sure what I am supposed to do during Mass. What's the proper protocol for a non-Catholic attending Mass? Well,
1: Clint, I don't know what your uh, particular—well, you say you're not a religious person, uh, but I would think— Well, certainly anybody who's not Catholic, who attends a Catholic mass, would be, um, and I don't think I need to even say this to you, Clint, but would be respectful and attentive and and, um, pay attention to what's happening. But I would hope further, Clint, that you would maybe open your heart and mind and soul to receive what God is prepared to give, that maybe, and I'm sure your family prays for you, that mm, let God work on you, you know, to be open to that to see where God might be calling you. I commend you for for attending church. And uh, certainly it's not proper for you to receive communion because it's not your faith, you know, but uh, uh, your belief, uh, or you're not in full communion with the Catholic Church. But I, I hope you can find it in your heart to offer some prayer for your family, for your loved ones, and for our world. And if you can do that, that would be a great blessing.
0: Michelle from Avon says, at Mass recently, I was stunned by a statement made by the deacon who was giving the homily that has made me wonder. Do deacons have sole independence when preparing remarks, or does the priest exercise oversight? Well,
1: Michelle, without knowing what was said, I, I can't really answer completely, other than to say, uh, as uh, the, the reality is, that priests uh, are ordained uh, with a uh, faculty to preach by their ordination and it's an integral part of their uh, ministry. Deacons, by their ordination, also are envisioned as preaching, but it is a faculty that is granted by the bishop. And we do have some deacons who, for whatever reason, are not given the faculty to preach, and so they don't. Uh, That's very few in number. You're talking about a stunning statement by one of your deacons. I assume that you mean he said something that was upsetting, um, either contrary to the faith or... Or out of place, or whatever, I think what you need to do is uh, re- report that to the pastor, because the pastor does exercise. I mean, the deacon does exercise his ministry in a parish under the supervision of the pastor, um, and a pastor would have response. The, the the primary local person after me as bishop, the primary person uh, responsible for a parish is the pastor that I send, and uh, the the uh, other priests who are sent and the deacons. He has to, the pastor has to ensure that they are, uh, you know, that they are uh, celebrating properly and certainly saying things that are in keeping with the faith. So, Michelle, uh, please talk to your your pastor about this.
0: I would just make a remark. You know, sometimes we misunderstand something that people say, and, and that's happened to me frequently. Sometimes people hear what they want to hear, and they misinterpret what your intent is. So, Michelle, you might want to talk to the deacon about what he meant, too, in terms of just seeing if he can clarify for you what he was talking about. Um, Father John, <clears throat> that's a very good point, because sometimes,
1: uh, yes, sometimes it really is better to start with the person in question mm. and ask them about it. You know, we were talking earlier about confirmations, and I I, uh, I got a, a complaint some a lady uh, uh, said to me, uh, she said, "How dare you say that? Uh, that unless they, they become saints, their lives are a failure." Mm-hmm. She obviously thought that I meant that the only person who are saints are the ones canonized by the Pope in Rome on the calendar. Mm-hmm. I even mentioned this in subsequent homilies. I say, you know, I'm, we're talking about everyone who goes to heaven because they've lived a life in Christ, known and, un- and unknown. You know, not just saints and the the heroic public people that are that are recognized and known by the church and acclaimed. So I was criticized for that, which was a misunderstanding of what I said. So you're quite right to say, whenever you have a question or, or a grievance about something, go to the person and ask them first.
0: Joanne from Bridgewater says, After listening intently to the words of consecration during Mass last Sunday, our four-year-old granddaughter whispered to my husband, Is wine really blood? How would you answer her question? Well, Joanne, I think what you might do
1: is to uh, look for some— there are a lot of wonderful uh, resources for kids uh, on the faith published by a lot of of really good people, for little ones, uh, to explain how that is so. But just uh, off the top of my head, I would say, yes, that that when Jesus died on the cross— just as we have blood in our body to give us life, that Jesus's own life uh, and His own blood be- becomes ours uh, spiritually. You know, it becomes uh, something that that we share in. Now, that's not a full explanation, but I don't think a little one is looking for a full explanation. But certainly, I wouldn't uh, just say, "Oh no, it's not true." You know, or it, you give some explanation, and you can find very good resources for little ones.
0: Andy from Weathersfield says throughout the years of being a CCD teacher, I have noticed that left-handed kids tend to do the sign of the cross with their left hand. Is that OK? Should we be correcting them?
1: Andy, I've never been asked such a question, but it, it occurs to me that if they're left-handed, they just do it with their left hand. I, I, don't, I don't know if there, <laughs> anybody's ever said anything about that, but there's just, just nothing wrong with being left-handed. You Just do it that way.
0: Nancy from North Haven says, recent news of shootings have caused us all to be concerned and alarmed. Children experience many of the same feelings as adults, sometimes to an even greater degree, and their limited experience with danger can make news of threats and attacks especially terrifying for them. How can we reassure them in times of increased anxiety? How are Catholics to respond to such acts of terrorism?
1: My goodness, Nancy, I'm in no better position than you to answer that question. I mean. Yes, we're living... uh, I often talk about the spiritual uh, desolation that we're in that is a cause of so much of this that exacerbates it. But how you deal with people, we have to deal with them, obviously, from the point of view of our faith. Uh, You know, and I think genuine religious faith and spirituality brings a great comfort and strength to people who experience these things or fear them. But on the other hand, uh, we, we also have to by our own uh, lives and our own uh, actions, we have to promote uh, a greater uh, peace uh, and tranquility in our society. Uh, You know, as for the little ones, I think if they have uh, my understanding, and I'm just speculating here, but I I would, and I certainly believe, that children in a strong family situation with a loving father and mother uh, and family can find in that cocoon, if you will, of the family can find a a peace and, and security uh, to shield them from this and, and help them to understand that that's not the way the world should be and that they themselves have to be instruments of peace and social harmony. But sadly, there are so many broken families today or non-families that it's very hard. And uh, I I wish I could give you a better answer, but each of us has to do what we can to bring uh, the serenity and, and peace uh, to, to our society.
0: And I think we have time for one last question, Archbishop. Ken from East Granby says, There is a sin that I committed long ago for which I have never fully forgiven myself, even though I've confessed it several times to a priest in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Even though I know God has forgiven me, how can I learn to forgive myself?
1: Well, Ken, I think you just have to pray for that grace. You know, you don't need to confess something over and over again. When the priest acting in persona Christi, when the priest acting in the name of Christ as his minister says, I absolve you from your sins, then you are truly absolved. Now, we also have to do a penance. You know, there is that. And so I think what you're talking about is you're haunted by something you did that the, trying to make rep- reparation or restitution or penance for it is something that's still with you. And you do that through how? Through acts of charity, uh, through uh, prayer, through living the gospel, uh, stri- striving to live the gospel because all of us strive—we we don't do it perfectly. How can you learn to forgive yourself? Maybe you do need some more intense spiritual counsel from someone. Maybe you even need some psychological uh, counseling from a good, a professional, a person who is a person of faith who understands faith. Uh, but that is that is something that uh, that uh, I you know you may may want to pursue.
0: Archbishop, uh, we've come to the end of our time together today, but I thank you for being with us. Before we close the program, can you offer a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the great solemnity of Pentecost, we pray that for renewal of the Holy Spirit poured out in abundance upon our hearts and minds and souls, upon the whole church, as we strive every day to bear faithful witness to Christ and to live the gospel. May the Holy Spirit lead us forward amid all the challenges of today and make our hearts ever joyful and at peace in knowing that we are members of the body of Christ. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for leading us in prayer. Thank you for sharing this time together in the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. Until then, happy Pentecost. We'll see you next week.
1: Thank you.